0: On this prequel episode, we've got our It's a Wonderful Life fan poll follow-up. We're learning about Agatha Christie and previewing Murder on the Orient Express. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We have a very full prequel episode, so we're going to get right in, in this new year, 2023, to our patron shoutouts. I put up with you because your father and mother were our finest patrons. That's why we have one new patron this week. And it may be an old patron who's resubbing. We're not sure. It's hard to tell on Patreon sometimes if we've shouted you out before. Congrats. You get another one. If somebody else has resubbed before and we didn't <laughs> shout you out. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's hard to tell sometimes on Patreon if it's people coming back or whatever. Uh, but what our patron this week at the $5 Hugo award winning level is Paige. Paige. So, well, thank you, Paige. Hope you're enjoying that bonus content. And as always, we have our Academy Award winning patrons, and they are Matilde, Steve from Arizona, Paul, Kat Ensminger, Jeff Niederhofer, Teresa Schwartz, Ian from Wine Country, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Youngs, Gratch just scratch shelby says all i want for new year's is tfil merch that darn skag v frank and alina starkov thank you all so very much you are all the best and we appreciate your support into the new year <laughs> all right it's time to see what everybody had to say about it's a wonderful life
1: yeah well you know that's just like uh your opinion man All right, so on Patreon, we had three votes for the movie, zero for the book, that's going to be a recurring theme, and one listener who could not decide, Charlene said, during your conversation, I couldn't help thinking of the episode of Friends where Phoebe watches It's a Wonderful Life, but gets so bummed out that she doesn't watch all the way to the end, and complains it should have been called It's a Sucky Life, and just when you can't, when you think it can't suck anymore, it does.
0: You know, that's fair. (laughs)
1: yeah if you don't if you don't see the end it's a it's a real bummer yeah (laughs) Um, and our other comment on patreon was from matilde who said i'm giving it to the movie i loved the short story but the movie is richer with the added first act seeing george's entire life unfold first makes it so much more emotional and brings the message home with a bigger punch It's the kind of movie I always said, I'll watch it someday, but never got around to it. So thank you for giving me the opportunity and final push to do so. I'm going to have to disagree with both of you on one point. I don't find not the- allowed. <laughs> I don't find the first act to be depressing at all. I fully expected to, based on what I knew of the story, and yet I just ended up finding it incredibly inspiring. Does he go through terrible times and events? Sure, but every single time, his instinctual response is the best and a fantastic example for everyone. I see how it could be seen as being selfless to a fault, but I read it differently. I don't think he was being steamrolled, rather that he is fundamentally good and raised to be generous, and that's what pushes him most of all. Even his final trigger to think about suicide is the fact that his life insurance will take care of everyone he'll leave behind. His instincts are to help, always, and it would have been pointless to go against it and chase traditional ideas of success that wouldn't have made him happy. I feel like he just needed to catch up on his own nature, realize who he was at his core. So I was moved watching it all unfold, but mostly in a positive way. I kept thinking I want to have his kind of first reactions and his kind of impact, because I do believe George's father's motto is true. All you can take with you is that which you've given away. On a lighter note, some random observations. Regarding Mary, in my opinion, ending up as a librarian would be 100 times better than having four kids. (laughs) The movie had no idea what a bad fate really is. I need to get me a man like the teacher's husband, mm-hmm. a true king, especially when he insists on paying his tab. And was I the only one to get strung Back to the Future 2 AU 1985 Hill Valley vibes from Pottersville? Obviously, the inspiration goes the other way, but still.
0: Yeah. So working backwards, yeah, uh, it's very clear, I think, that Back to the Future 2s. I mean, I don't want to say necessarily inspired by this movie, but it's it's very much it feels very similar mm-hmm. um, when you go and, and see uh, Hill Valley under uh, what's his name Biff Tannen's rule. Um, very very kind of similar idea. Going back to though your main kind of assessment um, is interesting. Is def- It's definitely something I don't disagree with your assessment of the kind of the first act and George's uh, repeated. Tribulations, shall we say? Uh, I don't think that necessarily those two, and you kind of touch on it in your comment, but I don't think those two, our reading and your reading, are necessarily at odds or mutually exclusive in the sense of it. We, you know, we talked about how it was kind of depressing, how he keeps his dreams keep getting tr- crushed and blah, blah, blah. But you found aspirational the way he handles these situations and that ultimately it works out for him. And he uh, finds that he does truly love the life that he's created and all that sort of things. I I think both of those can be true. Yeah, <laughs> like, if sure, they, yeah. Sure. And, and I think Matilda would agree with that, but I, I think it's simultaneously um, moderately depressing that, uh, that his life, you know, is that all of his plans and, and dreams and aspirations are, put on hold um, for the people around him and, and and for his friends and family and that sort of thing. But he handles it in a way that is incredibly aspirational and, uh, like you said, ultimately does lead him to a happy, fulfilled life that is, I think, results in an overall good message and and mm-hmm. becomes what the ultimate message is, that even though your life didn't necessarily go according to the plan you had set, you can still find the good and the great and the things you love in it and it can be something truly worth you know worth living for. So it's I think yeah, I think it's both. I think it I think yeah. it manages to be both.
1: For sure. Absolutely. Um on Facebook we didn't get any comments. We did have two votes for the movie, zero for the book. On Twitter we had six votes for the movie and one for the book. Kelly Napier said, I picked the movie but I don't like this movie. <laughs> the vignettes are too long and too numerous they don't do a good job building the relationships between him and the other people in the town in the first part and the way the town went bad without him there is overdone he has zero chemistry with mary and much more with violet probably because they show way more of him and violet than him and mary and for it truly to be a redeeming story mr potter would have returned the money at the end instead of getting away with it Also, they should have kept Cary Grant in the role as was first intended. So why did I pick the movie? Because I can see why other people like it and why it's considered a classic. And since you made this a thing the last time, let's cast it with Muppets. (laughs) Kermit is George, Miss Piggy is Mary, Gonzo is Clarence, and John Voight is Mr. Potter.
0: (laughs) I like that. I like that. Um, That's interesting. I, I i agree and disagree with different parts of this i don't necessarily agree that the vignettes are too long and numerous uh and that they don't do a good job building the relationships between him and the other people in the town i think they do a, in my opinion i think they do a good job of that i will agree that the the way the town goes bad is overdone we kind of t- touched on it's that a little it's a little
1: bit. maudlin it's a little
0: silly like yeah it's a, yeah it's a, yeah uh, so we when we touched on that a little bit in the episode but not not explicitly necessarily i would disagree that he has zero chemistry with mary but i agree he has more with violet i like violet more as a character i think she's more interesting as we kind of discussed in the episode but i don't think he has zero chemistry
1: yeah i don't think he has zero chemistry with mary um and that may have just been a case of like he maybe he just had more chemistry with that actress who played Violet, and it well, just comes through. I
0: also think part of it is that Violet's character is a more sympathetic character to modern audiences. She's true. She's girl bossing beyond yeah. her means. In she's the a time, modern yes, woman. Yes, she's a modern <laughs> woman living in, uh, <laughs> in in antiquated times, and it uh and so you know, it, I think a modern audience is like gonna vibe with her character in a way that. Yeah, was not necessarily intended at the time that the movie was written. Um, and so, I, like I said, I agree that I, I like Violet more as a character. I think she's more interesting and I think they have good chemistry together. But I, I I do think that he still has good chemistry with Mary and I think their relationship is sweet in certain ways and weird in other ways. Like I said, that we discussed yeah. in the episode. Um,
1: but yeah. yeah, in regard to the comment about Mr. Potter, I
0: I disagree a lot with
1: that. I, I would agree if this were a story about Mr. Yes. Potter, but it's not. <laughs> it's not, yeah. Um. And, and I totally understand how that feels like a loose end, and I think we have another comment that mentions that as well. Like, mm. I get how it feels like right. a loose end, that we don't know what became of him and, like, that money and all that stuff. Right. Um, but, a- again, it's not his story. No. So it really doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> yeah, I will say that... Yeah, I would agree that I think I I don't think it makes necessarily any particular sense narrative wise for him to show up and give the money back. And I think it even would undercut thematically what the store is going for a little bit. He's a greedy bastard. He didn't he didn't go through anything to change who he is. Why would he show up and yeah. Give the money like the, he went through nothing You know he wasn't visited by three ghosts This is not a Christmas carol um, Actually you
1: know? what you don't know is that off Screen he's yeah, actually he's having his he's Own been you know, in a Christmas carol The yeah. whole time yeah he's
0: been he's been having his Ebenezer Scrooge moment yeah Um. So I, I yeah I would disagree with that no That I, I do think that it it makes sense for him Just to not
1: yeah Not come and back, I, not I, have I think a turn, change even or Even like addressing that. it In some way at the end of the story Would feel like why are we doing this yeah
0: i agree i i think leaving it where it's just he takes the money and disappears and we don't see him again it's like yeah other than like obviously the the alternate universe stuff but i think it makes perfect sense um and it it drives home the point that you know he's he's yeah he didn't go through a journey why would he give that money back or do anything nice he's an irredeemable capitalist pig like that's (laughs) that's his lot uh because that's the bet he's made so yeah I, i yeah but like I said, interesting. I, and and as for the uh, <laughs> as for the Muppet casting, I think you're spot on. I love that. Um, and John <laughs> Voight would just play John Voight at this point to be but Mr. Yeah. Potter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he just be himself.
1: Uh, our other comment on Twitter was from Shelby. Will go down with this ship, and Shelby said, "I've been meaning to watch this movie for a while, so I wanted to say thank you for covering it." I was surprised. Second person yes. there you
0: go. <laughs> It's one of those It's like me with the Godfather It's one of those where you're like Eventually I'll watch this movie that everybody talks about But uh, yeah. Yeah, if, I, if I have a reason uh,
1: I was surprised just how much I enjoyed it I really connected with the characters And I thought George and Mary had great chemistry Wow
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy Fight, 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 fight
1: <laughs> Um, any issues i had were the ones you already discussed i will say that while i understand the movie having a big event trigger george's desperation i did appreciate how the book let it be a bunch of problems piling up over time i think both versions are valid but there's something so honest about the way it happens in the book that we don't get to see as often Something I've discovered in trying to write characters with depression or anxiety is that mental illness doesn't care about your story structure, it doesn't care about character arcs or lining up with narrative beats. There's good days and bad days, and those have nothing to do with someone's wants and needs. It simply is. People who live with it have ways of managing it, but it's rarely so neat in that an audience can follow its trajectory the way you follow a story. But overall, I'm picking the movie because I found it more satisfying. Happy New Year, everyone! P.S. I'm team opening. No, a person of taste. Boo! Um,
0: no, that's a very great comment. Uh, I one specific thing I wanted to touch on because it's just it's so striking, and, and I almost think there's no way that Shelby has not seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. There's this. I don't know if you, if if uh, Shelby, if you've ever seen the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. If you haven't, I would recommend checking it out. It's on Netflix in America. I don't know. It's a I CW show. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where you guys watch those in Canada. <laughs> um, but there's a specific song in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, I think in the second... If I find it, I'll, I'll just send it to you on social media or something. Uh, just a song. Um, but there's a song specifically in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. The whole show is about a girl who... Uh, a woman who is dealing with mental illness, basically. Um, but it's a musical comedy show. Uh, and there's a song in, I think, the third season where that is about explicitly your point that um, uh, depression and anxiety and stuff doesn't care about story structure, that, you know, it doesn't care about character arcs or lining up with narrative beats. That's, like, literally what the song is. There's a whole – it's one of my favorite songs in the whole series. Um, But it's about how, you know, like, in real life stories don't don't play out like (laughs) – like TV shows or, or movies or whatever, and especially stories involving people, you know, dealing with um, mental illness and stuff like that. So I, if you haven't watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, I would recommend it. But I'll send you this one song because it's like literally exactly what you're talking about. Anyways.
1: Uh, over on Instagram, we had seven votes for the movie and zero for the book. It looked like we had one for the book. Um, <laughs> but then I got a message from Hannah Joseph who said, I meant to vote for the movie. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So I discounted that one vote for the book yep. for Hannah. Uh, and our other comment we got was from anal fracture forty two yes. <laughs> who said, didn't have time to listen to the episode yet, but I'm sure you were right. Amazing. <laughs> In general. Thanks for the great content over the year. Oh, okay.
0: Nice little end of the year.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> little, little end of the year message. Shout out. Thank you. Uh, And we had a comment on Goodreads this time. Um, Mm. So one vote for the movie, zero for the book on Goodreads. And our comment was from Miko, who said, This is one of those movies where I've seen it in bits and pieces Uh a dozen times, but fully, maybe once. I think it's a movie where you have to know what's going to happen to really enjoy it. And I'd be interested to know if someone seeing it fully blind would go, So what's this film about an hour in? Yeah. The short story does a couple things I preferred, like starting right at George contemplating suicide and keeping the identity of the stranger a complete mystery. I also liked that in the short story, the fate of the whole town was not tied to one person. I get why the movie does this, and it's established well, but it still feels like such a movie addition. I also feel like Mister Potter just pocketing the equivalent of one hundred and twenty two thousand in today's money is oh, just that's forgotten. The,
0: that's the conversion. I guess. Huh? Holy yeah, cow.
1: I didn't look it up. I did. I did not fact check. Wowzers! Miko, but it's a lot. Yeah, I um, would not have
0: guessed that much. I would have guessed like thirty or forty thousand, but holy cow! Yeah, uh,
1: um, It's just forgotten and should have some sort of conclusion. I think I have to, a little begrudgingly, give this to the movie. It's not that the movie is bad. It's just an hour 45 of setup plus 20 minutes that anyone actually remembers. On the other hand, the short story is extremely average, and ending it with an and it was all a dream or was it type of thing with the brush just annoys me a bit. That's a cliche I thought was overused back when I was in 7th grade. Even if I'm bored by the majority of the movie, its ending still works on an emotional level, and for that, it gets my vote over the book.
0: Fair enough. I, uh, I, I didn't find the first hour forty-five, you know, hour and a half, boring necessarily. Um, I think there's a lot of really interesting and clever and good like setup, not clever necessarily, but like good um character work and setup and stuff like that that for the payoff. I think it does a lot of good. I will say you know, and now that ne- thinking on it, uh, going back to Kelly's comment about maybe a few too many vignettes and stuff, I might agree that you could probably trim like fifteen or twenty minutes from mhm the setup part, like the, you know, the building up to the the end. You could probably trim out like a good twenty minutes without really losing too much. That being said, I didn't I didn't find it overly long or arduous to get through. So I think it's fine. But um but it's it sounds like Miko had a similar thing of like it's just a little bit like yeah "Yeah, okay. We get it. Like get to the important part. Um but yeah, interesting. What'd the final breakdown look like?
1: Uh, the winner was the movie with nineteen votes to the books one.
0: Wow, yeah. almost a clean sweep.
1: Mm-hmm. And whoever that whoever it was that voted for the book on Twitter did not one voter did on not Twitter write in to defend in. it. So fair enough.
0: Uh, we always appreciate it though. If you are gonna vote, uh, and especially if you see yourself vote, and then you're like, "Oh, I'm the only person who has voted." I mean, who knows? Maybe that person voted first and didn't. Know. But still, either way, we love to hear what you have to say and defend your position of why you uh, picked one over the other. But anyways, we appreciate the votes. Nonetheless, Katie, it's time now to learn a little bit about Agatha Christie.
1: No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Agatha Mary Clarissa Miller was born in 1890 into a wealthy upper middle class family. She was the youngest of three siblings. Um, According to Christie, her mother believed that she should not learn to read until she was eight. Um, but she was a, a curious, precocious child, uh, and she was, so she was reading by the age of four. So her mother and her older sister homeschooled her. Uh, at age 10, she wrote her first poem, which was called The Cow Slip.
0: Is that a thing?
1: I don't know.
0: Okay, keep going. I'm going to Google it.
1: Christy's father died when she was 11, and from then on, she was educated in boarding schools with a focus on voice training and piano playing. Um, However, she decided that she lacked the temperament and talent to do that and gave up that goal of performing professionally. Uh, At 18, she wrote her first short story, The House of Beauty, while recovering in bed from an illness. Uh, Other stories followed, most of them illustrating her interest in spiritualism and the paranormal, very popular around that time period. Uh, magazines rejected all her early submissions. Uh, she made all of those under pseudonyms, including Mac Miller, Nathaniel Miller, and Sydney West.
0: Is that where Mac Miller got his stage? I his hope film? so. Is that, is name Mac? His name might have actually been Mac Miller. I'm not sure. I, uh, I don't know. By the way, cowslip is a plant. It is um, a European primula with clusters of drooping, fragr- fragrant yellow flowers uh, in spring, go. growing on dry, grassy banks and in pasture.
1: So There you go. Yeah. Um, Around the same time that she was submitting these short stories, Christy also began work on her first novel, Snow Upon the Desert, but was disappointed when the six publishers that she contacted declined the work. Her mother suggested that she ask for advice from the successful novelist Eden Philpotts, who was a family friend um, and who responded to her inquiry, encouraged her writing, and actually sent her an introduction to his own literary agent, who also rejected Snow Upon the Desert, um, but suggested that Christie keep writing. Uh, In 1912, she married Archibald Archie Christie. Um, During the First World War, Christie wrote her first detective novel, The Mysterious Affair at Stiles, in 1916. Uh, That manuscript was rejected by the first publisher she sent it to, but eventually accepted and published in 1920. Um, following the war, Christie settled into married life and had her only child, a daughter named Rosalyn. Um, she published another detective novel in 1922 and a third in 1923, plus several short stories. Um, now having no difficulty selling her work, Christy continued to write and publish over the next few years. However, her mother's death in 1926 sent her into a deep depression. A few months following, Archie asked her for a divorce because he was having an affair. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. um Leading to one of the more famous stories about Agatha Christie's life.
0: The only thing I know about Agatha Christie. <laughs>
1: because, <laughs> because, of of that, because of that Doctor Who episode, <laughs> yep. yeah. Um, so as to that, on the 3rd of December, 1926... Um, She and her husband fought after Archie announced that he was planning to spend that weekend with friends and that she was not invited. Um, Late that evening, Christy disappeared from their home in Sunningdale. The following morning, her car was discovered at Newlands Corner in Surrey, parked above a chalk quarry with an expired driver's license and clothing inside. Um, And it was feared that she may have drowned herself. Uh, the disappearance quickly became a sensational news story. Uh, more than a thousand police officers, fifteen hundred volunteers and several thousand air... volunteers and several airplanes searched the rural landscape. um was my favorite little thing that I read about this. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle gave a spirit medium one of her gloves uh, to try to find her
0: yep he was a, he was one of them. <laughs>
1: It's also really popular at the no, time. No, I know
0: it was a big thing, but yeah, he was he was famous. Uh, I also, which I also know from Doctor Who, <laughs> because there's a whole episode about him with a medium and ghosts.
1: Um, Christie's disappearance also made international headlines, inc- including the front page of the New York Times. Um, despite the extensive manhunt, she was not found for another ten days. And on the 14th of December, she was located at the Swan Hydropathic Hotel in Harrogate, Yorkshire, um, north of her home, uh, registered as Mrs. Tressa Neely. Uh, So her own autobiography makes no reference to this incident, um, but opinion remains divided. Uh, Two doctors did diagnose her with an unquestionable genuine loss of memory um but like this is kind of one of those things that has gone into legend yeah uh, and there are a lot of different opinions on what actually happened and right you know
0: i think it's 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 famously regarded as one of the like most well-known and i don't know the science of whether how, how real or accepted this idea is but um i've always heard it um referenced as like one of the most well-known examples of like a fugue state yeah and again i don't know the science behind how accurate (laughs) uh, or how um you know accepted that is in medical in the medical world of like if going into a fugue state is like a thing that can actually happen or not but um not saying one or the other but that this is the one i always hear people talk about uh uh, famously in non or in fiction uh there's a whole plot line in breaking bad with that but
1: anyways Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this has uh, transcended into legend. There's a lot of different, like, theories and opinions on what happened. Did she do it on purpose? Did she genuinely lose her memory? All that stuff. Um, but at the time, publicly, re- public reaction was pretty negative. Uh, a lot of people assumed it was a publicity stunt or uh, an attempt to frame her husband for murder to get back at him. So following that incident, Christy took an extended trip to the Canary Islands for her health. Uh, as you do, and upon returning, divorced her husband. Uh, She did retain custody of of their daughter, and she also kept his surname for her writing career, because that was what she'd been publishing under. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 1930, Christie met archaeologist Maxwell Mallowen, who was 13 years her junior. Uh, They married that same year, uh, a marriage that lasted until her death. Uh, Christy, of course, continued to write, with her novels now drawing inspiration from the traveling that she did with her husband. During World War II, Christy worked at the pharmacy at University College Hospital, where she... Uh, updated her knowledge of poisons Mm. Uh, her later novel the pale horse drew on knowledge she acquired during this time and in 1977 a thallium poisoning case was solved by a british medical personnel who had read her book and recognized the symptoms that she described in the book so that's pretty neat Um, Some honors and accolades. Christy was elected a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature in 1950. Uh, She was appointed commander of the Order of the British Empire in 1956. Uh, In 1961, she was awarded an honorary, honorary doctor of literature degree by the University of Exeter. Uh, and in 1971, she was promoted to Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire. So
0: is that the equivalent title of Knight? Yes, for I women? Yes, I believe so. Okay. I would assume based on the dame there, because... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from
1: 1971 to 1974, Christie's health began to fail, but she continued to write. Her last novel uh, was Postern of Fate in 1973, And she died peacefully on the 12th of January, 1976, at age 85, from natural causes in her home. Um, I won't end this section without acknowledging the biases in Christie's work. Um, She was a a wealthy white woman writing primarily during the 1920s and 30s. So you know what we're about to hear. Uh, So the biases in her works uh, often included stereotyped descriptions of characters, particularly Italians, Jewish characters, and uh, other (laughs) non-Europeans in general. And this is especially prevalent in her works written before 1945. I'm a little ways into Murder on the Orient Express, and she has some descriptions of American characters that absolutely sent me. (laughs) Um, Not quite the same thing, but. (laughs) Um, And then there's also the infamous original UK title of And Then There Were None. Um, If you don't know what it is, look it up. I'm not going to say it. Uh, That novel was actually always published under, and then there were none in America, but many UK editions continued to use the original title until 1985, which is a fucking travesty. 1985,
0: you say? I just looked it up, and holy shit.
1: Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Now, there were some imprints of that published in the UK that used a, a not quite as bad, but still not great title. Um, But I believe now it is published everywhere as And Then There Were None, which is also, like, even if you put everything else aside, an objectively better title.
0: Yeah, no, Um, yeah.
1: I I also think it's worth noting that her stereotyped characters are very rarely the villains in her stories. They are actually more frequently victims or near victims of English villains. So you make of that what you will. Um, But I did want to bring it up. Uh, Agatha Christie is often referred to as the queen of crime and the queen of murder. Her books have sold over a billion copies in the English language and a billion in translation, making her one of the best selling novelists of all time and practically synonymous with the whodunit detective story.
0: Indeed. Indeed. All right. Let's learn a little bit more about her story that we're going to be talking about in a week's time Murder on the Orient Express.
1: You know, there is something about a tangle of strangers pressed together for days with nothing in common, but the need to go from one place to another and never see each other again. I see evil on this train. A passenger has died. Murder on the Orient Express is a 1934 detective novel by Agatha Christie. It features one of her recurring characters, Belgian detective Hercule Perrault. He's Belgian. I believe is the correct pronunciation, I hope. Uh, this was Perot's What is it tenth- with
0: Kenneth Branagh playing not English people?
1: <laughs> he loves uh, it. I don't know
0: because he's, he's he's he was famously well. I'll talk about it in a minute, but it, we'll get yeah. it in my notes anyways.
1: Uh No, he uh, he's Belgian, um, and there is quite a bit of French in the book. Hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, but this was uh, that character's tenth appearance in one of her works. Uh, the U.S. title of Murder in the Calais Coach was used to avoid confusion with the 1932 Graham Greene novel Stamboul Train, which had been published in the United States as Orient Express. The novel was partly inspired by two separate events where Christie herself was marooned on stopped trains, once in 1928 due to a blizzard, and again in 1931 due to flooding from rainfall. The novel also draws inspiration from the nineteen thirty-two kidnapping and murder of Charles Lindbergh's son.
0: Mm, yeah, very that is an interesting story.
1: Yeah. Uh
0: also Charles Lindbergh was a Nazi, so that's the yes, thing. He was. <laughs> a weird thing that you find out later the, the, especially the, growing up in st yes, louis we,
1: we both grew up in st louis yeah. and he's like local hero yeah less, in so, louis. less so these
0: days i think yeah. but still like he's one of those people you when you grow up in st louis you hear a lot about charles lindbergh because yeah he's like uh you know the spirit of st louis he's kind of yeah like a local folk hero to some extent and then uh, you later in life you find out he was a nazi and you were like wait a second <laughs>
1: Um, a couple review poll quotes. Uh, the Times Literary Supplement um, outlined the plot and concluded that quote, the little gray cells solve once more the seemingly insoluble. Ms. Mrs. Christie makes an improbable tale very real and keeps her readers enthralled and guessing to the end. Uh the New York Times Book Review um wrote, quote, The great Belgian detective's guesses are more than shrewd. They are positively miraculous. Although both the murder plot and the solution verge upon the impossible, Agatha Christie has contrived to make them appear quite convincing for the time being. And what more than that can a mystery addict desire? True. I can't think of anything. Um, And my final note here, aside from the 2017 film adaptation that we'll be discussing, the novel was also adapted as a feature film in 1974. It has also been adapted for radio, television, stage, and as both a board game and a point and click computer game in 2006.
0: Yeah, yeah, indeed. All right, let's talk a little bit more about the 2017 adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express.
1: So they got him after all. You assume he was killed? No, 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 not, well, he was in perfectly good health. He, he had his enemies. Indeed, he was murdered. God, a murder here? God oh, rest me. his soul. Someone was rummaging around my cabin in the middle of the night. No one would listen to me. If there was a murder? What is going on? Then there was a murderer. The murderer is with us and every one of you is a suspect. And who are you? My name is Hercule Poirot, and I am probably the greatest detective in the world.
0: Murder on the Orient Express is a 2017 film directed by Kenneth Branagh, known for, and I'm listing here his directing credits. Obviously, he's starred in quite a few films as well. But his directing credits that he's most known for include Much Ado About Nothing, Hamlet, Love's Labor's Lost. He had a whole stretch of uh, Shakespeare there. Mm. Thor, uh, Cinderella 2015, Artemis Fowl, and the sequel to Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile. The film was written by Michael Green, who's his his uh, I'm about to read the list of movies he has written. And it's a real up and down roller coaster. (laughs) Let me tell you, some TV shows included as well. Logan, Smallville, Green Lantern, like the 2015 or whatever, the one (laughs) with Ryan Reynolds, (laughs) Alien Covenant. Also, not very good. But then Blade Runner 2049, very good. Jungle Cruise, never saw it, I don't know. And uh, wrote quite a uh, he was like one of the showrunners on American Gods. Mm. So he's had like a, he's been all yeah. over the place. I heard that stuff.
1: Jungle Cruise was not very good.
0: I heard it was like okay, like um, fun, but, but I like heard, heard
1: that very American good. Gods is very good. Yeah. So. Yeah,
0: I know. I, I, Alien Covenant, I did not see, but I heard it's not good. Uh, very similar <laughs> to like uh, Prometheus. Green Lantern, famously terrible. Logan, very good. I, so who knows? Blade Runner 20, yeah. Uh, And that's not even all of the stuff he's been involved with. But the film stars Kenneth Branagh, Tom Bateman, Penelope Cruz, Willem Dafoe, Judy Dench, Johnny Depp, Josh Gad, Leslie Odom Jr., Michelle Pfeiffer, and Daisy Ridley. The film has a 61% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 52% on Metacritic, and a 6.5 out of 10 on IMDb.
1: That's pretty middling, isn't it? Pretty
0: middling. Um, Not terrible, but not... Good. I would say that's just under good. That's like a C minus on the weighted scale of Mm -hmm. obviously like on an um, an American classroom grading scale. That's like F's and D's. (laughs) But on the related, uh, that's like a C minus, I would say. Uh, I have to mention this note because it made me laugh a lot when I was reading. I would look to I always look at the awards to see if it was nominated for anything interesting. Mm -hmm. And this one was nominated for Best Director, Best Ensemble, and reader's choice for the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards what I was like that's a thing
1: I need to know what else has been nominated and won that award the movies for movies well it's a no grown-ups. it's not
0: it's it's a whole it's like the Oscars it's a oh. bunch of awards they do a movies for grownups award show and
1: this is put on by AARP yes
0: which is like I, I think the idea I don't know why you would call it movies for grown-ups but the yeah. idea is like these are movies for senior citizens <laughs> I think <laughs> is the idea I don't know um which you know I Murder on the earners Express makes sense you know it, may, it, it makes sense that it would be nominated cuz yeah but yeah, it's just very funny to me uh, the film was a smashing success made 352 million against a budget of 55 million or at least you know a relatively mm. Pretty good success because that's actually a tiny budget for
1: yeah. <laughs> the cast. I mean, it's all one set piece. Yeah,
0: it's all one set piece, and it was all shot on a sound stage. Like, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about some of the how they shot some of it a little bit, but it, you know, they weren't like on an actual train riding through yeah. <laughs>
1: the countryside. Yeah, no we're filming not this spending movie. to go film on location no. or with multiple sets. Or no, whatever. absolutely
0: not. So it definitely saved a lot of money there, uh and that's probably how they were able to afford the cast that yeah. they had. So, uh, getting to some production notes, the film was announced by Twentieth Century Fox in 2013, and then two years later in 2015, Kenneth Branagh was brought on to star and direct, uh, or to direct and star as uh, Hercule Poirot. Some other people that were considered for roles and were in talks at different points that I thought were interesting uh, for the role of Caroline Hubbard, who I don't know who that ended up being. Maybe think Daisy um, Ridley.
1: No, I, I think that's Michelle Pfeiffer's character. Oh, Michelle Pfeiffer's I character. Think.
0: Okay. Uh, Well, at different points, both Angelina Jolie and Charlize Theron were in talks to play that character. Uh, And then at one point, Michael Pena, uh, who probably most people would know from the Ant-Man movies uh, and Marvel stuff. He's been in other stuff, but that's probably where most Uh people know him from. Was cast uh, to play one of the characters, but he was eventually replaced by Manuel Garcia Rulfo, um, who I recognized from something now that I can't remember. But anyways. Uh, So uh, he had to drop out for uh, the other scheduling reasons. Principal photography for the film ran from November 2016 to May 2017 and used some of the same 65mm film cameras that Christopher Nolan had used to shoot Dunkirk, which Kenneth Branagh had just started or acted in like in the months leading up to production starting on um, Murder on the Orient Express. Um, And it was the first time Branagh had used those cameras since... He shot a uh, Hamlet on them uh-huh. or 65 mil film mm-hmm. uh, back in like 96. And then nobody had everybody stopped. Everybody went fully digital and everything. So everybody stopped using uh, actual film, especially 65 mil. Cause it's like huge. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a, huge frame, uh, huge format uh, film. So it's yeah. Uh, very rare for people to shoot on stuff like that. But he, they filmed this movie on it. Uh, okay. Getting into IMDb trivia. Sir Kenneth Branagh was apparently aware of the over extravagance of his mustache in the film, but <laughs> he continually justified it by the fact that in the book, there are 15 quotes mentioning the mustache. And he's like, it's got to be. There,
1: he, but I, OK. <laughs> As I said, I'm only a little ways into it. There have already been several quotes about his mustache. As also, like, while I was researching and, like, looking up stuff about the novel, um, apparently that is one of that character's, like, defining characteristics oh, yeah. is his mustache. Oh, yeah. Famously, So, like, yes. he has to have a wild mustache, right? Yes. That's the character. I
0: don't think I have a note about it in here later, but uh, apparently... In the original, or in one of the early adaptations, was she alive? When did she die? Did you say seventy six?
1: Yes, I believe. so she was
0: alive for the first adaptation, yeah. and she hated. She did not like the mustache. Oh, yeah, I Hercule remember Poirot seeing something about in, that. Yeah, in that adaptation yeah. from seventy four. And but apparently, other people don't like this one. So who knows? I don't know. Uh, we we shall see. We'll see what you think when <laughs> when you see him uh, on screen. Uh, So talking about how they filmed it, uh, uh, they had actually kind of similar to the um, how like Star Wars and stuff films a lot of their stuff in front of the big like Mm -hmm. LED screens that like simulate landscapes and stuff like that. They had giant screens um, built around the train sets that played like moving scenery Mm. to create the effect of being on a train that was moving. And it was apparently so convincing that Josh Gad experienced motion sickness at, at different times
1: you know honestly i feel like i might get yeah. motion sick from yeah that. i could
0: see it i could definitely see it being like a thing Being that,
1: on a stand on something stationary with like a background constantly racing making by you like think that. you're yeah, moving I yeah i could see that
0: yeah uh but also joshua gad was the only member of the cast who had ridden on the actual orient express which i thought was really weird <laughs> <laughs>
1: it seems very strange of the all the real world of experience the, of all of
0: those people i listed
1: yeah right <laughs>
0: Kenneth Branagh, Penelope Cruz, Willem Dafoe, Judy Gench, Johnny Depp, Michelle Pfeiffer. I would not be like, well, the guy definitely rode on the Orient Express is Josh Gad. I don't know. It (laughs) doesn't seem like. um, But also apparently before filming uh, for research purposes, Kenneth Branagh did go um, Mm -hmm. on the train. I I guess it's still running. It sounds like. I mean, Josh Gad's not that old, so it has to be operating at least in some capacity. Uh, so this is a fun fact that I had to include um, based just because uh, apparently one day uh, Johnny Depp showed up several hours late to set and was hung over uh, and Bran dressed him down in front of the entire crew saying, quote, I expect all of my actors to be on time and well prepared. If this is too difficult for you, I have no problem finding another actor. End quote. And according to IMDb trivia, Johnny Depp was not late after that. <laughs> so
1: I, that doesn't surprise me.
0: Well, no, no me. parts of this surprise no me. Doesn't surprise me that Johnny me. Depp was late and hungover. Also, does not surprise me that Kenneth Branagh dressed him down in front of everybody. I feel like Kenneth Branagh has a pretty. Uh, he's not, he's like, I mean, at this point, he, at this point, in his career, he's done enough for you I feel like yeah. he's like, I do what I. I'll say, I'll say whatever yeah. I want to Johnny Depp. I'm Kenneth Branagh.
1: I'm <laughs> fucking Hamlet. <laughs> Eat shit. <laughs> and he's also pretty old school. Yes. Kenneth yeah. Branagh. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Yeah.
0: Um, so, uh, another Johnny Depp story. There's a lot of them in these, uh, in these true <laughs> IMDb trivia facts. Apparently upon meeting Daisy Ridley for the first time, uh, he asked her if she was in Star Wars and she said, yes. And then Johnny Depp said he hadn't seen the movie, but he planned on seeing it because he was a big fan of Peter Cushing. And he was referring to the fact that in Rogue One, they digitally, reconstructed (laughs) peter cushing who plays um, uh 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 uh, whatever's uh grand moff tarkin (laughs) and then ridley ridley apparently politely explained to him that she was not in rogue one but is in fact in a different star wars movie and supposedly johnny depp responded to that by saying oh and walked away (laughs) which is like what a yep what an asshole yeah yep
1: (laughs) I Johnny Depp just gives me a vibe that I feel like like even like everything that I know about him aside yeah. I get the vibe from him that like nobody likes him
0: and yes. like yeah, even before any of the recent stuff <laughs> yeah. I was just like he seems like kind he of an asshole. He seems
1: like somebody that probably like when he walks in people are like oh god oh, fucking god. god jesus Johnny's, Johnny's here. here.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That being said I also feel like I also get the feeling that uh, that Kenneth Branagh would be completely obnoxious at a dinner
1: party. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and
0: I like Kenneth Branagh quite a bit in everything I've seen him in as an actor. And uh, the movies that I've watched of his that he's directed, I think I've seen two of them, I've enjoyed. I think he's a talented guy, but he seems like he would be insufferable at a dinner party. Without knowing him, obviously. Just this is the vibe you kind of get. All right, so getting in... Uh, To this some reviews of the film Uh, They were mixed upon in the film Coming out um, but we'll get into some actual Reviews here Leah Greenblatt Of Entertainment Weekly gave the film a B Plus calling it quote A lushly old fashioned adaptation Wrapped in a veritable Turducken of pearls Monocles and international movie stars Uh, In quote uh, Insufferable review (laughs) uh blake Goble of consequence of sound said quote handsomely staged exceptionally well cast and reasonably faithful branow has revived murder on the orient express in a highly pleasing fashion uh and then matthew jacobs of the huffington post was oh sorry getting into some critical reviews now matthew jacobs of the huffington post was impressed by the cast but ultimately felt quote agatha christie's Who Done It has no steam Peter Travers of Rolling Stone found that there were many dull moments and that the film was a needless remake. And uh, finally, Richard Roper of the Chicago Sun-Times, formerly of Ebert and Roper, uh, gave the film two and a half stars, which is like, you know, slightly above average, in line with the 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. Gave the film two and a half stars and stated that he felt it focused too much on Poirot to the detriment of the other characters, saying, quote, never let it be said the director misses an opportunity to place his star front and center. <laughs> unfortunately, relegating just about everyone else in the obligatory international all star cast to a paper thin character with one or at most two defining personality traits, end quote. So there you go. Those are the reviews. Katie. Katie. Uh, Before we wrap up, we wanted to remind everybody that people can uh, do us a giant favor by hanging over to patreon.com slash this film is lit. Support us there for a few bucks a month. Get access to bonus content if you haven't listened. If you're not a patron or if you already haven't listened, Uh, we just released our episode for January, which is on 2012's Dread. If you want to hear what we have to say about Dread, go give us five bucks on Patreon and you can listen to it. You can also do us a giant favor by heading over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Goodreads, any of the social media platforms. Follow us, like us, interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Finally, Katie, where can people watch Murder on the Orient Express?
1: Well, as always, you can check with your local library or a local video rental store if you still have one of those. Uh, If not, you can stream this with a subscription to Fubo Fubo or DirecTV. Um, barring that you can rent it for three or four bucks from AMC theaters on demand, Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Vudu, Redbox, DirecTV, or spectrum TV,
0: et cetera, et cetera. There you go. Those are the places to watch 2017's murder on the Orient express. I am actually quite excited to watch. I've no, I don't know this story. I mean, I know it's on a train mm-hmm. and I, I, <laughs> I don't think I've had it spoiled for me. I will say I may have culturally kind of know how it ends, but I don't I've never had it. If I know how it ends, it's literally through weird cultural Uh osmosis of like it being referenced in stuff. Hmm. I don't think I've ever directly had the story spoiled for me.
1: I don't think I know how it ends. I mean, I will when we watch the movie. because yes. I'll be re- right. reading the book. <laughs> right.
0: Um, but I'm just saying, like, I don't know if I, I, I I'm, I'm like, I'm like fifty-fifty on whether or not I know, like the, the, the you know, the solution to, to mm-hmm. how it actually ends mm-hmm. up ha- uh, ending or like who done it, basically. Yeah. I feel like I know, but if I know, it's only for again from like indirect, it being referenced in other stuff yeah and not even directly referenced but like ah, it's hard to explain anyways uh but i don't know if i know so we'll find out there's no known knowns and unknown knowns and unknown <laughs> unknowns and this is an un- unknown unknown yeah maybe that's it <laughs> anyways <laughs> come back in one week's time we're talking about murder on the orient express until that time guys gals the binary pals and everybody else
1: keep reading books keep watching movies and, and keep, keep being awesome <laughs>